But um, today we are carrying on, as I said, week two of Work Matters. And very often when people think about um, characters in the Bible that we hear about often, Moses, um, Noah, David, Daniel, Joseph, and many of these people, we think they must have just been wandering around um, the Bible times, you know, with halos on their head, um, just praying all day, writing psalms, think, you know, just absolutely not doing much. And um, the, the truth is that most of the heroes in the Bible had regular jobs. They had regular jobs. And just to give you an idea of what some of those were, Isaac developed real estate. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph became a government official. Moses spent nearly 40 years in the desert being a shepherd before he led um, his people out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. David, first of all, worked as a shepherd. Then he was in military. Then he was um, in the government. Daniel was an immigrant in Babylon and went to one of their universities and then became um, part of the government as well, prime minister. Lydia was a successful businesswoman with textiles. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, was a tent maker. And he continued being a tent maker to be able to finance his ministry. Um, and you, you, you look at these examples and you realize, wow, these were actually ordinary people that were doing work each day, getting up each day. But the ultimate example that really, really blows my mind and that shows us how much God values work is when we look at Jesus, the carpenter. I think sometimes people think that Jesus was born well, con conceived, born, and when he hit puberty and sort of got his voice all nice and husky, that, you know, you know that was it. He never had to work a day in his life. He just wandered around um, ministering to people. But Jesus had a job. He was a carpenter. He would have been asked to build something, and he would have had to do his job. And so I think it's so encouraging that when you look at Jesus at three quarters of his life, well, even more than that, um, he was in the building profession. And the Bible is written by workers, about workers, for workers. So all these people I mentioned and many more were workers. And so they know and they knew what it was to work. Some of them, maybe they had flexible jobs. Some of them must have had nine to five jobs if, you know, if, if that was a thing back then. Um, you know, some would have been stay-at-home parents, whatever it might be, but they all had work to do. And what's also really interesting is that um, the Bible mentions work about 800 times. The word work in some form or another mentions work. So if it's mentioned in the Bible, it must have been a really big deal to God. And if it's a big deal to God, then it needs to be a big deal to us. Work is not something that we must separate from our spiritual lives. As Jason mentioned last week, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. But so often what we do is we refer to our work life and our spiritual life as two different events that take place in our lives, but they are all connected. God created us to work. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had to work. They had to tend to the, the, the garden, the animals, they had to get the, you know, the, the food didn't just fall on their laps, they had to go and work and get it and, what, you know, whatever they had to do. Work is created from the beginning of time. It's a good thing 
And so work is important to God. It must be important to us. And so what we want to do through this series is we really want to help you to see the biblical perspective. What does God say about work? Because we don't want to just tell you what Jason and I or whoever else is going to share with you what, what we think about work, but what does the Bible say about work? And when you look at life, when you look at work, whatever your interests might be besides work, we all look um, or, or look at models of, of um, you know, either a person or a thing that we could look up to that we aspire to. So, for example, if you're into fitness, you might follow a whole lot of fitness people that encourage you and that you get ideas from. If you're into cooking, you might do the same with, with cooking shows or people that are into cooking. If you're into makeup, I know that's quite a trend now. Girls do their makeup um, on, like, TikToks and, and Instagrams and stuff. And so whatever you are, are interested in, um, you would tend to model your life after that thing. So you tend to model your life after someone or something, all right? You might not realize you do it, but we do. We all model our lives after someone or something. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what do I model my life after? What do I, Susan, model my life after? Or who? do I model my life after? Now, we're all familiar with bad models that have taken place in the world around us. Some famous scandals that have occurred um, and have made headline news all over the world. Um, the first one that I can think of that, that, that um, I found really interesting was in the 1920s, a guy called Charles Ponzi. And if you uh, have ever heard of this thing called the Ponzi scheme, it actually comes from him, okay? So when you hear of the Ponzi scheme, he was one of those guys that committed fraud and stole people's money. You might recognize, recognize names like Madoff, Steiner. What about the Guptas? <laughs> okay? These are all people who have made headline news for being bad role models for being people that we don't want to follow, okay? But they made headline news anyway. And um, we can look at these people and go, you know, um, there's, there's scandal and there's dishonesty and there's no integrity and what is the world coming to? And, you know, this is the culture we're living in where we can't even trust people with our money and, you know, like, it's, it, it can become dis disheartening and it's easy to become cynical and to wonder, like, how, how can I be different? How can I be different in a culture where there is so little integrity? How do I stand out above the rest? And so what we actually need to ask ourselves is that if we were in the same kinds of positions as the people I just mentioned, if we were in a position where one day we noticed a little loophole, a little glitch in the system, that would make it easy for us to pay less tax. Or maybe we notice the way that we could just get away with the actual truth to make more sales. Would we do it? Would we be different to those people I mentioned, or would we give in to the same things? And the way that you know if you would be like that is to ask yourself that are you, am I, in the job that I am today, okay? in any way compromising? Am I in any way compromising in where I find myself today? 
And you know what? I think very often we look at people like that, the people I mentioned, and we think, yeah, but you know what? They did big, bad things. Like it made headline news. But the reality is they all started somewhere small. It was small things that they gave into. And small things grow when you don't stop them in their tracks. For example, okay, when, if you're a student at school or university, do you look at other students' papers and cheat at, at, at exams? Do you give into telling a small white lie in order to make the sale? Do you um, steal a little bit of your company's time? Yeah, these, are, these are small things, and they don't seem that um, like crazy, but the small things not nipped in the bud when they happen can lead you down the same road as the people who made headline news. So, as I mentioned, there, there's a crisis of integrity in our culture today. And so what are we going to do about it? Are we going to just join in with that crisis of integrity? Or are we going to be different? Are we going to stand out? And so, something that I want to talk about today, which I really believe is very challenging in the workplace, is how do we live as a Jesus follower? How do we truly live as a Jesus follower in the workplace today? Because I don't know about you, but that's not easy. That's really, really not easy. And we can find great examples in the Bible of people who, who worked, who lived their lives with integrity. But there are also people in the Bible who were not great models of righteousness and holiness and integrity. For example, I can mention people like Haman, Cain, um, Samson, Lot, they were bad people, but they were also good people, fortunately. And one of the people that I want us to look at today is Joseph. Joseph really lived a life that we can model our lives after. And um, just to give you a bit of background, because we're going to start in Genesis 39, but before we do that, Joseph was the son of Jacob, and he had 11 brothers who were not crazy about him. Joseph, I think, was a bit of a favorite of his father, and he was maybe a bit spoiled, and his father bought him a multicolored coat, and Joseph had these elaborate dreams where his brothers and father were bowing down to him, and I don't know about you, but if your siblings came to you and said, like, I'm, I'm sure if um, Hadassah came to, to you, Tuddy, and said, I dreamt that you bowed down to me, you would be like over my dead body. You know, that's never going to happen. Because um, that, that just sounds crazy. So his brothers were like over this. They were like, you know, Joseph, you're just a brat. You're having these dreams. You think you're so amazing. You know what? The next time they were in the field together, they came up with a plan and said, let's kill him. Let's just get rid of him, you know? He's like wasted space. And the one brother was like, no, no, no. Our father will be devastated. Why don't we just chuck him into a pit and the, the plan of this brother was to later on go and rescue him from the pit and like, you know, sort of save the day. But while this other brother was gone, the, the others who, who really couldn't stand Joseph saw Ishmaelite traders coming along and they decided to sell, sell him and make some money off him. So this is where we go on from Genesis 39 verse 1. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So what you see there is that Joseph did not apply for a job in Potiphar's house. Joseph didn't have a choice 
in being in Potiphar's house. He was a slave. He was bought by Potiphar. He was made to work in Potiphar's house. He didn't apply for the job. He didn't earn a salary. And so what we do sometimes is if we find ourselves in a position where we don't enjoy the work we're doing, or it's not actually the career that we want right now, we can almost justify bad behavior. We can kind of say, well, you know what? This isn't the job that I wanted, or there are no jobs out there that, that really um, are attractive to me, so I had no choice but to take this job, so um, I'm not going to give it my best efforts because I'd rather keep my best efforts for when I'm doing a job that I really want to do. But, but that is not what Joseph did. We read in Genesis 39, verse 2 to 4, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that, again it says, the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So what distinguished Joseph from the other slaves or the other workers in Potiphar's house, okay, what made him different? We actually see two times in this verse, in the beginning, it says the Lord was with Joseph. And again it says, just into verse 3, he realized, Potiphar realized that the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence was with Joseph. That's what made him different. That's what made him stand out. That's what made Potiphar notice him. Potiphar was so blown away that he ended up giving Joseph much more responsibility in running his entire household. Now, that's amazing. Like, Potiphar was so blown away, he gave a slave, which was not heard of in those days, full um, responsibility of his household. Now, there are two distinguishing characteristics of the presence of God in our lives. Two things that make us stand out about the, above the rest. The first one is we have the character of God in our lives. So that means that we would look and act like Jesus. I'm not saying we have to be Jesus, but we, but, but we try and follow Jesus' example. We have integrity about us. We have consistency in our lives. We aim to be righteous about the way we do things. We have the character of God in our lives. Another distinguishing characteristic, which I want to focus on today, is that what we do, we do with integrity. What we do, we do with integrity. So what is integrity? This is the definition of integrity. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. The state of being whole and undivided, a lack of corruption. That's the definition of integrity. So if that's the definition, then what does it mean to have integrity, okay? It means that you live in unity with your deepest values. So you, you need to ask yourself, what are my values? Is the way that I live in unity with my values? So, you, so we actually need to all decide, what are our values? It's important that we know what those are, okay? What are my values and are they in line? Am I honest? Do I keep my word? That's what it means to have integrity. And so these are the things that separate us 
from other people. These are the things that make people maybe look at you, your, your boss or your colleague look at you and notice. The Lord is with Reese because they can see something different and unusual and integrity where your values line up with who you are. From uh, verse 5, it says, From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So God blessed Potiphar because of Joseph. Imagine if your boss is like, I don't ever want to lose this person because everything they touch, God blesses. Every time they, they, they warn me of something or they tell me whatever, God blesses it. Imagine if that is the reputation that you have because of your integrity. Imagine what it would be like in your workplace, whether it's, again, remember, work is whatever we do, the unpaid and the paid. So if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you are at school if you are studying, if you work in a factory, if you work in a shop, if you run your own business, whatever it is, okay, imagine if the place where you work was better because you are there. Actually, if it's better because you are there. Because of God's presence in your life. So you are there and it's better because of his presence in your life. Imagine. That must be amazing. And maybe you don't even realize it. Maybe that's how God keeps you humble. It's not like you're walking around with a big head saying, yeah, I'm so amazing. No, because we have to give God all the glory for everything that he blesses through us. Now, what I really love to imagine through that is that if, if we are a blessing, if we are full of integrity in our workplace, that will eventually have an impact on the people that we work with. And the people that we work with will start impacting their communities that they go home to every day. So your presence, so, so you being at work and having God's presence with you can not only change your workplace, but might actually have a ripple effect and change a community. Just think about that, you know? We don't always know what impact we're having. We don't always see the end result. But imagine in heaven one day, we can look back and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's the influence I was having on those people's lives. Now, I understand that the workplace can be very challenging, and I, I know some of you might be sitting there going, oh, you know, what does she know? She works for a church, she must all be so like angels singing on clouds all day. That's not what we do, I promise you, okay? I actually um, only came into the ministry in my late 20s. I worked in the corporate world before coming into ministry. I've worked with great people, and I have worked with really not great people. I actually, um, sort of, my one experience that I want to share with you was I worked at a company where basically I worked with Hitler's other cousin, okay? So some people have worked with Hitler's cousin. I worked with his other cousin. And she was my age, we were on the same, the same uh, like, uh, role at work, there was no difference in, in, in our job, but honestly, she made my life hell. And when I worked there, I wasn't a Christian yet, um, and 
to, to, to just give you a, a quick example, um, this was a company that was, uh, it was a German company, and I could speak German back then. I hardly can speak German anymore, so please don't get excited, okay? And um, she couldn't. And she found this really frustrating. And so often when the head office in Joburg would phone me, they were all German speaking in the office and they would speak to me in German. So I thought, well, obviously it's good manners to speak German back to, to them. And she would phone them afterwards and say, um, like, don't speak to Susan in German because she's probably gossiping about me. Or I would do a, a task and, and, and send it off um, in, the, in those days, you know, it was still fax. Um, I don't think I even had email. And um, uh, she would actually, I know this sounds terrible, but it's the truth. She would actually change my bookings. I was in the travel industry. She would change things so that I would fail at my job. So you know what? We've all had these experiences. But while I was at that company, I gave my life to Jesus. And God took care of me. And he opened other doors, and I ended up working for a great company um, where my boss was, was really kind and, and understanding. And, you know, you still work with people who are, you know, we, we people, we, we have different personalities. But, you know, I just wanted to give you that background so that you don't think um, that I have no idea what, what it's like to work with difficult people. But um, a lot of places that we work, this, it's not even the people that are compromised, the systems are compromised. You know, and those are often um, areas that we are, um, that, that, that we have to work with, that we have to work through, and that's really, really difficult. And what also happens in the workplace is we face a lot of temptation. We face temptation in ways that is sometimes really difficult to deal with. So we're gonna, I'm going to read from uh, verse 6 to 10 as to what happened to Joseph. It says, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Look at the next verse. Very, very important. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph doesn't say, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against Potiphar. Or it would be such a great, a horrible thing to do um, you know, because I'm not a bad person. Joseph acknowledges that it would be a sin against God, the person he loved the most, the person he was trying to honor, where he was trying to have integrity and live a righteous and holy life. So from verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. So day after day, with this temptation, Joseph stood steadfast. Now, you know what? I'm going to put my own spin on this. Potiphar's wife could have been really hot. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe she was like the best-looking lady in their suburb in, in Egypt. I don't know. Maybe it was difficult for Joseph to, to keep saying no all the time. No, no, no. But he did. Because it says in verse 10 that he kept 
out of her way as much as possible. So no matter what temptation we face, God always makes a way out for us. If we give in and keep going around, down the same road, the same avenue that takes us past the temptation that we are facing, obviously it's going to be difficult. But God says stay away from temptation. So don't keep going to the same um, place. Don't keep giving into the same conversations. And you know, you, you, you will know. You will know what that looks like for you. Now, this is referring to sexual temptation. And I just want to stop there for a moment. Because unfortunately, most affairs take place in the workplace. Now, you might be sitting here going, oh, I've never experienced that. I would never, ever, you know, but, but, that's, but maybe your temptation is different. Maybe your temptation is to lie or to steal or to, you know, not give the full truth or to wangle things so that you don't have to pay as much tax. We all face different temptation. But what did Joseph do? He kept out of the way of temptation as much as possible. God will always make a way out. And so you, you really can choose to live the way Joseph did with integrity, not giving in. I do think it's possible. And, and I want to encourage you today, if you are sitting here thinking, there is no way that I can live the way Joseph did. You don't know the people that I work for. You don't know the colleagues that I have. You don't know the systems I have to work through. Look who Joseph worked for. A guy who loved him one minute, and the next minute, when, Joseph's, uh, when Joseph tried to stay away from temptation, and Potiphar's wife couldn't take it anymore, so she tried to attack him, he left his, his, his shawl or, or top or whatever behind. She then accused him of rape. He gets thrown into prison. You know, Joseph tried to do the right thing, but even that didn't go according to, to plan. And so you can live according to Joseph's way. You can use him as a model. You can use his life as an example. You have a choice. You can either hand your life and influence over to the enemy, or you can hand your life and influence over to God. You have a choice. Now, as I mentioned, um, Potiphar's wife accuses um, Joseph of, of rape and, or of trying to sleep with her, and um, um, he gets thrown into prison, and it's, it's absolutely devastating. I mean, you can imagine. Here he is a slave, but he gets made like the head slave of the household. Now he's in a dungeon. He's in a prison. And from my understanding, the prisons in, in the Bible days were underground, you know, so it's dark, it's terrible, the, the, the conditions are awful, and, and this is where Joseph finds himself. And, um, you know, Joseph could have been really bitter. Joseph could have absolutely lost his mind and said, what am I doing worshiping this God? What have I been doing? He doesn't even have my back. Yeah, I'm sitting in jail. I mean, I was trying to do the right thing. I didn't give in to temptation. I was trying to be um, responsible, and I was trying to have integrity. What is this all about? 
Is that what we do when we try and stand up for the right thing and, you know, it just doesn't go our way? When we try and stand steadfast and we end up losing our job or not getting the promotion that somebody else gets? But Joseph didn't do that. Do you know, Joseph was exactly the same person in prison as he was in part of his house. He didn't change who he was. He didn't change the fact that he worshipped God. And it actually says, let me find my, myself. Okay, verse 21, it says that, um, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Does that verse sound familiar? The same as verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph didn't give up on God, and God didn't give up on Joseph. So, I'm just trying to see what to uh, leave out here. <laughs> to, okay, so, ultimately, if you look at Joseph's life, his integrity and the way that he worked and the way that he honored those who were in charge of him ultimately saved his family's life and saved his life. Because eventually, when the... Um, the Pharaoh heard um, that Joseph could interpret dreams after many years of being in prison. He calls for Joseph. Joseph then, um, the, the Pharaoh tells him his dreams. He interprets them, and uh, he tells Pharaoh what he should do in the seven good years and the seven bad years. And Pharaoh is so blown away by Joseph that he puts him in charge of all of Egypt. The only person higher than Joseph was Pharaoh himself. And that leads Joseph to ultimately saving his family and himself. And I think that's amazing. Joseph's integrity through hardships, through times when he could have easily given up, easily just given into the culture of the day, easily just be become, you know, given into Potiphar's wife. You know what? I'm just going to give in. It's going to be easier because I feel like this. I feel that this is going to be um, better for me. I, I have feelings towards her. I have feelings towards cheating my company. I have feelings towards, you know what, whatever it might be that you struggle with, but he didn't. He stood steadfast and he honored God and he stayed righteous and he tried to do the right thing. And so, yes, Joseph is a model that we can learn from and that we can look to. And God can use us in our workplaces today, but it starts with us asking, am I going to give my influence over to the enemy or am I going to give my influence over to God? Am I going to allow, who's going to influence the way that I am at work? Who's going to influence me? And Jesus says that he's the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness. And how does Jesus shine his light? Through his people. So if we're going to be the light in our workplaces, we can't hide our light under a basket. As Jesus said, we need to be the light of the world. And so I want to encourage you today to ask yourself, this is the question I want to leave you with. Am I in any way compromising? Do I have integrity in my workplace? 
Am I allowing the light of Jesus to shine through me in my workplace? And we all have to have boundaries. We all have to put things into place. John Maxwell and Craig Rochelle and Billy Graham are some of the people who said something along these lines that I really want you to, to keep in mind. Keeping boundaries in your life doesn't make you weak. It makes you wise. So you need to ask yourself, the areas that I might be compromised, what boundaries do I need to put in place so that I can make wise decisions? I really want to pray for you because this is something we all need prayer in our lives. So won't you please stand? And I want to encourage you today. It might be something so minor, something so small, that you know if you were put into a certain position, it would be a great a, a temptation to you. You don't have to feel bad about it. You just have to take control of who gives, of who you allow influence. So won't you close your eyes and put your hands in front of you? And putting your hands in front of you is just saying, God, I surrender these things to you. I surrender them to you because I want you to have control. I want you to have influence. I want to be the light in my workplace. I don't want to compromise. And so, Father, I just want to pray for each and every person here today, each and every person online who is saying, God, please will you help me to see the areas where I might compromise if given the chance. Please help me to put boundaries in place. Please help me to keep my distance. Please help me to not want to sin against you. God, you love each and every one of us. You have a beautiful plan for every life. And you want to help us to be the light of the world so that we can shine Jesus' light, Jesus' love everywhere we go. So will you please help each person who's praying out now, saying, God, I don't want to give in. I don't want to be compromised. Help them, God, to be bold. Help them to be courageous. Help them to stand steadfast. Help them to be all that you've called them to be in the workplace. Equip them, God. Give them um, visions for their life. Holy Spirit, lead them and guide them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.